All right, that's the last time I'm going to be coming up here with an 80s guitar solo, at least for quite some time. Anyway, glad you're here today. If you're new with us at Centerpoint, my name is John, and uh, I'm lead pastor here. Glad that you joined us this weekend. Uh, you know, so I was sitting down uh, with Anne and, and Adriana. Uh, she's one of our pastors, but this was more of like a friend conversation. We're having coffee, and, and, and she said to me and Anne, she's like, oh my gosh, have you seen this movie called A Boy Called Sailboat? And her eyes lit up with such delight. And I thought she was joking. You know, like, boy called sailboat. She's like, oh, yeah, it is the most amazing movie. It is so delightful. It is so heartwarming. It's so endearing. It's the kind of movie that when you see it, your heart just wells up with delight. And it's like rays of sunshine. I had to stop her right there. And I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and she's like, what? what? And I said, no, no, it just sounds like something I'll never watch ever in my life. I'm sorry. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, listen, I, I like movies that have like guns and shooting and cops chasing bad people and spies and crashes and explosions. And did I mentioned guns and shooting people. <laughs> That's probably why I love the Old Testament and probably why I did a series called Shout. Shout, the series brought to you by testosterone, right? So anyway, <laughs> speaking of testosterone, we're going to turn to the scriptures in, in the book of Judges, all right? So I want you to open up to the book of Judges in the Old Testament and I just want to make sure we get all caught up together in case you haven't been reading the Old Testament recently and uh, that way, let's get uh, caught up, and here's the big picture. Big picture, God's people were in Egypt, came out of Egypt, went into the promised land. All 12 tribes, each got a portion of the land in Israel. And God's great vision when his people came into the promised land was, all right, all the 12 tribes are all going to have a part of the promised land, and they're going to be one great, united, powerful family, and they can get each other's back. They can defend each other. They can partner together. Something beautiful and powerful can happen if my people would lock arms together and be united and watch out for each other and allow me to be their great father and do things my way. And that didn't happen. Big picture, what happened was, you know, God's people got into the promised land and they got everything they ever wanted and then they began to drift away from God. Side note, that can happen. And they began to drift away from God, and they started to drift away from each other. Now, they were 12 tribes that were meant to be united and fighting for each other, but they started to become isolated and then actually be hostile towards each other and fighting against each other. And then what that meant was that each of these local tribes was left to their own devices. And so if, if a fight broke out, they were on their own. They had to just figure it out. And that wasn't really what God had intended. God had intended that the 12 of them would be together, able to fight together, defend one another, one family under the great heavenly father, but, but they were on their own. And so one of those 12 tribes was the tribe of Manasseh. Everyone say Manasseh. It was one of the 12 tribes, and, and, and in this period of time, there was a group of people called the Midianites that saw the land where Manasseh lived and said, we were going to take that. And uh, so they came in to fight to take that land away from God's people. And uh, unfortunately, there wasn't much leadership at this period of time. There wasn't you know, any King David that's further down the road. And, and so what happens is just from time to time, a leader would step up just out of sheer necessity to try to make something happen. And in this period of time, the leader that stepped up 
somewhat reluctantly was a guy named Gideon. And Gideon uh, is, is someone who didn't think of himself as much of a leader or warrior, but God sort of tapped him on the shoulder anyway. And so Gideon has to figure out what to do to lead his people to, to defend th this tribe of God's people from the Midianites. And Gideon's got a nickname, it's Jerubbabel, but for today we're just going to go with Gideon, it's just a little easier. So, uh, Judges chapter 7, this is God's word. Did you there, get there yet? If you're at Judges chapter 7, say hey. Hey, alright. So Jerubbabel, that is Gideon and his army, got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. And the armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Everyone say, too many. You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Say too many. There's still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup the water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink only with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. <laughs> you ever heard the phrase, the more the merrier? Apparently that's not the way God is feeling right now in this moment. I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive what's happening in this moment, but God apparently ha has a different thought than the more the merrier, and it's something more like the less the mightier, which also doesn't seem to make sense. But th that's, that's the moment that, that we're dealing with. God's looking at what Gideon's got and says, too many, too many. And, and I think maybe what's going on is that God is looking at this group of people, and, and God wants a group of people that will give him the glory when victory comes because they'll know it came from him. God's looking for a group of people that would have an experience of greatness that doesn't depend on themselves, but that is totally dependent on God. And I think that's something that God still is looking for today. I think God is looking at us, looking at you and me, and he's looking for a group of people that would be ready to give him the glory when victory comes because we'll know that it came from him. He's still looking for that from you. God's still looking for a group of people that would be willing to have an experience of greatness, but a greatness that isn't dependent on us, but a, a greatness that's dependent on him. And he wants that because he's good. If your victory only ever depends on you, you got to live with that pressure every single day. It's all up to you. If you think that your greatness is always only a function of you being amazing, you're going to bust a gasket. But God wants something better, and he wants that for Gideon. He wants that for these people. He wants them to be able to know a greatness that goes beyond themselves, a greatness that has an origin that's eternal, 
And man, God wants that for somebody today. He wants it for you. He wants it for me. And, and in, in a sense, God you know, levels with Gideon about the situation. In verse 2, he said, Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. I'll, if, if all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Everyone say, too many. Too many. You know what? You got to kind of, maybe you didn't get a chance to read the whole book of Judges this week, so you don't know the details, but the details matter, and it's this. The Midianites had 135,000 soldiers, and Gideon had 32,000 soldiers. That sounds to me like the deck is already pretty firmly stacked against Gideon and the Israelites, right? Doesn't it? I mean, I think that maybe if, if you're Gideon in this moment, you're going, okay, God, so God, you think I have too many? Because to me, it doesn't look like that. I don't think we're doing the same kind of math, God. Because I'm looking at this equation and I'm going, look, it's already four to one. 135,000 to 32,000. The odds are not necessarily in my favor here. And God's going, yeah, but still, you got too many. Hey, just, I'm going to stop preaching for a second. I need you to stay alert and stay with me today. And I want you to get ready to recognize the series you're in, which is called Shout, which means you probably ought to reconsider whether sitting quietly and stoically is the right posture to take in this particular sermon. I would invite you to allow some of what shows up when you're watching your favorite game to show up in this message. Watch your own blood flow, help your brain to process better the message that God is bringing to you through your pastor. All right, so this is, thank you. I wanted to make sure you were alive today, all right? So Gideon's looking at God raising the stakes, but, but God, God wants him to get rid of some people. And, and he tells him, this is what you got to do in, in verse 3, right? Whoever is timid or afraid, everyone say timid or afraid. Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. And so 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. That is ridiculous, that's ridiculous. I mean, imagine you're Gideon. You're like, oh, dude, I got a, I got a pretty good army here. I got 32,000 people. I got a massive number of soldiers. I got a bunch of people that they got my back. I got a bunch of people that they've got the kind of heart I have. They're really willing to fight. They're really ready to go to the battle for me. Except God's like, yeah, well, watch this. Anybody who's timid or afraid, you can leave now. And 22 stinking thousand of them go. Two-thirds of what he thought were his noble, awesome soldiers were a bunch of fraidy cats. Remember that word? That's what they were. A bunch of fraidy cats. And he needed some thundercats. Oh, he needed some thundercats. He needed some people that were full of a little bit of faith, a willingness to really fight and get ferocious when the needed arise. And, and, and Gideon might have thought he had the right people, but God knows what we don't know sometimes. And you think you've got the right people around you. And sometimes God's going, yeah, but you just don't know. You don't see what I do. And these people, they've got to go. Because they don't have your back like you think you do, they do. Gideon didn't need to be marching into battle with 22,000 people whose hearts were full of fear. Fear is contagious. Amen. And you know what perfect love does? Perfect love casts out fear. And so God says, listen, you timid and afraid, you could go home. You could go on home. <laughs> think about this. Fear and pessimism, and skepticism, and cynicism create a spiritual schism between God's people and God's plans being accomplished. Fear, and pessimism, and skepticism, and cynicism 
keep God's people from accomplishing God's purposes. Why? Because fear and pessimism and skepticism and cynicism paralyze us. And so God is doing some purification in this moment. God is doing some pruning that brings a possibility of his power to flow, which couldn't have otherwise. Because these 22,000 people would have corrupted the whole group with a sense of timidity and fear. And God knew what Gideon didn't know and said, these people have got to go. But just when we thought we were done, just when we thought, okay, now the odds are down to 13 to 1, <laughs> that, that's pretty good, and, pretty good and well stacked against us already, God. I think now we know. We get it. We get it. God's like, no, I'm not done yet. We've got to thin this out a little bit more. Here's what we're going to do. And then it gets weird, doesn't it? I mean, they just got weird with the whole let's see how they drink thing. I mean, maybe it was, maybe you've read this a bunch of times so you're immune to it, but if it was the first time you're reading this part of the Bible, you go and go, wait, wait, did I just read that right? Did I read that right? Yeah, God's like, yeah, let's watch how they drink. Some of them are going to drink like this and some of them are going to drink like that. And the ones that drink like dogs, that's the ones I want. I don't know what you could conclude from this. I mean, you could conclude... I think maybe you might just conclude God is a dog lover. I mean, you might. Therefore, Lassie and Benji and Old Yeller are all going to be in heaven when we die one day. That's, that's, that's one possible conclusion. God likes the ones that laugh like dogs. <laughs> but, but if you just think about it for a moment, God's going to, this is what we're going to do. Let's just, let's just see something. Let's just watch how they drink. That, that, that'll tell. Watch. And, and so the picture's kind of weird, right? But you got one group of people that drinks like this. They're like, oh, well, it's finally time I get to get a drink. I'll take off my sword, and let me take off my, well, my backpack, and let me just go ahead and lie down right here next to the stream and just, oh, it's so good. <sighs> like, that's one kind, right? Sorry if you didn't see it, but that was one kind of drinking. <laughs> the other kind of drinking was totally different. It was like this. It was like this. It was just like... Which one do you want in your army? Come on, you want the one that's willing to look up and look around, and it's not all about getting all comfortable all the time. It's about getting ready to fight. It's about getting ready to stay watchful about what might be coming around the bend, about who might be on the move. And I think God is looking still, going, do I got any lappers among me? Do I got any people that are going to stay alert for what I'm going to do? Do I have any people who've got their eyes lifted to see how I might be on the move, how I might be about to come through, because I'm looking for some lappers. I think God's looking for you and I to be the ones that would, that would lap a little bit, and we'd stand up and stay watchful for what God might do. This is my message today. I see that God is looking at Gideon and, and all of these people, and he's looking for a certain kind of somebody. He's looking for a kind of person that would say, I'm willing to get my eyes on everything God can do. And, and this is the message in a nutshell, right? It's an invitation. If you could remember this when you're in the car today and you're going, what was that sermon about again? I don't remember. Something about somebody, dogs laughing like dogs. No, it's about this. It's about focus your faith on what God can do and then step up with faith-filled follow-through. That's the message in a nutshell. Focus your faith on what God can do, and then step up with faith-filled follow-through. I want you to say this out loud with me one time. Ready, say it, go. Focus your faith on what God can do, and step up with faith-filled follow-through. That's the message. Focus your faith on what God can do. 
So Gideon is, is watching these 22,000 people leave, watching another 10,000 people leave, and then he's got just the 300. Now, if you've read this a million times, your mind jumps quickly to the outcome and the end, and it's like, yeah, no, no big deal. But just stop for a moment. And just imagine Gideon that afternoon, watching all these people leave. It's a painful moment. He's watching thousands of people just go. And he's thinking, I mean, I have to imagine, he's thinking, God, I thought, you? Are you, you? You are going to be with me in this thing forever. We made an agreement. We were business partners. We were in that thing together. I can't believe you're leaving my life right now. Oh, you're going to go too? Oh, God, what are you doing to me? God, why does this hurt so bad? I thought they were going to be in this for the rest of my life with me. God, this is painful. God, why are you letting this happen to me? God, I thought you were for me, not against me. I sang the song in church. This is the kind of feeling of the moment, right? You got, you got to remember that. That's how it felt for Gideon in this moment. I mean, we jump real quick to the victory, but, but listen, there's some reality of pain in the middle of this moment that is not to be ignored. And God knows that, God knows that for some of us, the same is true. You know, you had some people that you thought were going to be there forever, but what you didn't know is that they didn't have the kind of heart that you needed to really get your back into the battle that you've got to fight. You had some people that you were doing life with that you thought were the right ones, and they're gone. And it's a good thing that they are because they had something about them that was going to stifle your shout and keep you from the victory that God had intended for you. And they had to go. Say, they had to go. They had to go. Sometimes they got to go. As painful as it is, sometimes they got to go. And, and this, is, this is Gideon's dark moment. It's, it's a dark moment for him. And God knows that he needs a boost. And so God, you know, kind of comes through in this moment with a bit of a boost. In verse 8, again, it says, Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. <laughs> but if you're afraid to attack... Go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you'll be greatly encouraged. Then you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Say it with me. Too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, oh, I had this dream. In my dream, a, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp, and it hit a tent, and it turned it over, and it knocked it flat. And his companion answered, oh, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over the Midianites and all its allies. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and laughed his head. He bowed down and worshiped the Lord. <laughs> this dream can only mean one thing. Really? Only one thing? That's all it could mean. Loaf of bread tumbles against a tent. It only means one thing. Okay. 
<laughs> this is a God funny moment, man. You gotta laugh. But he bows down and worships. But again, it's still, I'm caught up on this thing, right? In the beginning of what we read, Gideon is, 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 is having all of his troops paired away from him. Because God keeps saying, you got too many. You, no, 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 you still have too many. And, and what happens with us is that we get caught up in looking at what we don't have. And our conclusion is, I don't have enough. It's insufficient. But God looks at things so differently. And God looks at your circumstance and you and me. And, and God's view is, what are you talking about? I am in you. You always have all that you need. I am in you. And there is no lack. I am in you. And there is no insufficiency in me. And so God keeps saying, yeah, you got too many. You got too many because I really want you to know this, Gideon. I want you to know this. My son, my daughter, I want you to know just how sufficient I am. I don't want you living with the pressure of always thinking it's all up to you all the time. I want you to get in touch with what it can feel like when I come through for you. I want you to have a story that's punctuated by these moments where it's an only God moment so that you'll know it isn't always up to you, that you've got a mighty God who's for you and a father who's willing to defend you. This, this is the moment where Gideon, though, needs to choose what he's going to focus his faith on. Because Gideon, remember, he, he went, went down into that camp, and what did he see? What did he see with his eyes? What he saw with his eyes was something devastating. What he saw in the natural realm was 135 stinking thousand soldiers. And it said even their camels were like grains of sand. And those are big animals. If he chose to focus on the enemy that looked like so many that it was like a swarm of locusts, it was so many people, he could have only come to one natural conclusion. And that is, I believe I'm going to die. <laughs> I believe. I have faith for that. <laughs> but faith is powerful. You know what? You can look at the enemy. You can look at the opposition. You can look at the challenge. And you can look at the problem. And you can believe in it. You can. You can have faith. You can have faith. And Gideon could have chosen to look at the 135,000 over here and said, I have faith. I do. I have faith that, I'm, that we're, go we're going to die. We're doomed. We're going to be destroyed. How could it not be that way? But Gideon chooses to, to do something miraculous, right? And, and it's to shift what he's going to have faith in. And faith is always a choice. I wanted to tell you that today. Your faith is always your choice. You're always going to have faith. It's just a question of what are you going to have faith in? Are you going to have faith that it's all going to be terrible? It's all going to turn out awful. It's all going to fall apart on me. Because you could choose to believe that, and you'll convince yourself, and it'll come to pass. But your faith is also powerful when you shift it and you begin to focus your faith on what God can do. Because he can do what you can't even imagine. He can do what you could never have pulled off on your own. And Gideon chooses it. He shifts his faith. He focuses his faith on what God can do and what God is doing in this moment. And what God is doing in this moment, in, in this particular moment, you, you could have almost missed it. What happened? Well, I heard a guy talking about a dream. I don't know. No, but God was doing something. And then somebody needed to be like, what? God's doing something. This person had a dream. And we, we tend to make the enemy, the opposition, the attack out in our minds to be so fierce and so strong. But look at this moment. One little dream 
and they're shaking. And just take note of this, right? God can move in miraculous ways. God gives a supernatural dream to the opposition and then gives a supernatural interpretation of the dream, which is ridiculous, in order that Gideon would experience victory. I wish I could make that happen sometimes. God, give him a dream right now. <laughs> doesn't work like that. But take note, God can move in miraculous ways. And because God is moving, Gideon sees it and it boosts him to be able to shift his view onto what God can do. And, and, and so this is what happens next. It says in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship before the Lord. And then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted. He shouted. Come on, he shouted. He, he shouted. He said, get up, for the Lord has given you the victory. Yeah, but did anything even happen yet? He said it like it had already happened. But you know what you're getting right here in this passage of scripture? You're getting the picture of a human being whose heart is full of a deep trust in a big and mighty God. This is what it looks like when you have a deep trust in a mighty God. You come ready to shout before the victory even happens. You and me, we sometimes, we think about this whole shout thing like it's going to be a football game. And what do you do at a football game? You wait until they make the touchdown, and then you shout. This is the kingdom of God, though, and it's not like that. You raise your shout before the victory has even come, because somewhere deep down inside, you've chosen to believe that God is able to bring about a victory for the daughter he loves, for the son he loves, who's running a business that's helping people make their livelihood, who's leading a school that's helping people get an education, who's in a hospital helping people get healthy. God's for you and not against you, and you've got something to shout about. He shouted about it. Get up. The Lord has given you the victory. They didn't even move yet. He just knew it. And this is what faith is about. It's about saying, I'm choosing to focus on what God can do. If it was only up to us, 300 dudes against 135,000 enemy soldiers, we're done. But it's not just about us. It's about the living God and his light and power flowing into us and through us. And it's the same for you and me. And it's just a choice. Right where you are, right now, it's a choice. You, you, you waiting for somebody to come and zap you? No, you just choose to shift your focus. And you focus your faith on what God can do. Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. You know it's bad when they're called hordes. <laughs> hordes. It's just a terrible thing. <laughs> Get up. The Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. And he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. And as, I, as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, Blow your horns too, all around that entire camp, and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. And it was just after midnight, and after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, suddenly they blew their ram's horns, and they broke their clay jars. And then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars, and they held blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Come on, you got to try that with me. 
you got to get your shout on for a second and say it. The one in quotes right there. Ready? A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. you got to make that second part like a fifth up. Ready? One more time. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. One more time. Say it. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Come on, doesn't that just exhilarate you? Some of you are holding out right now, and you're going to walk out of here feeling bored with life. All the while, God's like, I got a plan for that. It's called Let Your Shout Out. That's why I had your pastor do a whole series on it. Come on. <laughs> oh, he shouted, they shouted, and th this shout changed something. Changed something. Verse 21, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in that camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beth Shittah. You better say it that way. <laughs> near Zerarah and to the border of Abel Meholah near Tabath. This is a great victory. It's an amazing victory, but completely completely confounds any sense of convention of how somebody's going to win something. You never would have come up with that. But this is what I recognized, is that it was one thing for Gideon to say, oh, okay, you know, I believe God can do great and mighty things. But it's another thing for Gideon and his 300 to then get up and do something. And so this is what we do. We, we focus our faith on what God can do and then we step up with faith-filled follow-through. You might focus your faith on what God can do, and you get this idea. I'm going to start this business. I'm going to have a business of my own. It's going to, we're going to sell this, and we're going to service that. And it's going to be a great business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. But what you don't do next is just kick back in your chase lounge with an iced tea going, well, any day now, God's going to get that business going for me. No. No, you step up with your own faith-filled follow-through. And faith-filled follow-through is about strategy. Strategy. And just when, when we who are spiritual want to make it all about just God doing everything, we find again and again in the Bible the opposite. We find most of the time God going, oh yeah, I'm for you, but, but get on up and get after it. <laughs> and we don't know if Gideon... He had a meeting to come up with this, or, or, or if he came up with it on the fly, but it's strategy, however you look at it. It's a seven-part strategy that he implements, and I want you to just take note of a few things. This is the strategy I see. First of all, it involves these seven things, placement, teamwork, timing, uh, communications, visuals, emotion, and reputation. And if you're doing something that's going to make a difference, you better have a strategy, and it better touch on all of these same seven things. First of all, it's about placement. I'm not going to just put it in this one little spot. No, I want the placement to be all around in as many points of exposure as possible. All around those 135,000. The placement matters in a strategy. And then it's about teamwork. Three teams of 100, all moving in synchronism but in different places. That's some serious teamwork. And it led to part of the victory. And timing. Timing is everything in a strategy, isn't it? The timing. They waited until it was 11, 12 o'clock at night. 
the changing of the guard. I mean, that's the moment where all of those Midianites are like, hey, let me kick off my sandals, and hey, I'm going to just hit the bathroom, and you know, is it, that's, that's the time. And they're like, no! You know, that timing was the right timing. That was strategic. And then it was about the communications. Oh, the communications were brilliant. <laughs> the ram's horns blowing all over the place, and that shout, of course. And it was also about the visuals. Visuals matter in a strategy. People are motivated by what they see. And the visuals come, and they're compelling. Because here's what happened. They had, every one of those 300 men had a torch, and it was inside of a clay jar. And the clay jar was hiding the light so that they could creep out into their positions. And then they had to crash and cr you know, crack open those clay jars, and then the light was exposed. This is an aside, but I wanted to tell somebody today, it's time for you to break open that jar and let the light of God shine where you are. It's time for somebody to stop hiding it in a jar and make the light available. So, so the, the, the strategy included those visuals of the, of the light and the, and the communication with the horns, but here's what you might not know, is that in that time period, each Usually, every army would have divided itself up into battalions, and every one battalion would be anywhere between 10 and 50 soldiers, and in every one battalion, you'd have a torch and a horn. So these Midianites look up in the hills, and they see 300 torches, 300 horns, and their mind goes to, holy blah, 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 there's tens of thousands that was such an amazing strategy, and, and it culminated with an, an effect on their emotion. And strategy should always affect people's emotions, because we're humans. We're motivated by emotions. And so this strategy drummed up the emotion of fear. Remember at the beginning, the problem was that Gideon's people were the ones full of fear. And God's idea was, let's turn that against the enemy. Let's turn your problem with fear into their problem with fear. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, they're running scared and panicked and afraid. Emotion is a part of any good strategy. And then finally, reputation. Reputation's got to be a part of a strategy. In this case, it's Gideon's reputation. He didn't even think he had that good of a one. But he was probably as surprised as anyone when he crept into that camp and they're talking about... <gasps> This can only mean that Gideon's going to get us. He's probably laughing. If you read the chapter before, he did not think of himself that way. But he's like, all right, somehow they believe I got this reputation as some great warrior. Fine, let's go with that. Let's let my reputation stir him up. And then he gave that shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Because <laughs> he's going to let the strategy include touching on their emotion trigger point, And it all leads to this this dramatic moment, God gave an elevation to Gideon's reputation so that he could become a blessing for the whole nation. And another way of putting it is God took a nobody and he made him a somebody with a destiny to save everybody. But before he did it, he took away from him anybody who didn't have his kind of heart and his kind of faith. And that's part of what needs to happen sometimes. It's called pruning. But in the middle of it all was this shout. In the middle of it all was the sound that erupted. Again, in verse 20, it said, all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars, and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted. Come on, let's do it one more time because it's so fun. Ready, go. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Come on. That feels good. <laughs> Shout. The series brought to you by <laughs> testosterone. <laughs> it's just so good. 
but victory has a sound. I've hardly ever seen victory be silent and quiet. Victory has a sound, and it just might be that your shout is what can carry that victorious sound. They shouted, and there's something about this. When you shout, all, all you're doing is making your vocal cords vibrate together. It's creating a, a resonance, and it's creating a frequency. We call it a sound wave, and the sound wave comes out through your mouth, and the sound wave travels through the air. And as it travels through the air, it is separating and displacing other molecules in that space. Ephesians 2 says that the devil is called the power of the prince of the air. And in ways that maybe we don't even take the time to even consider, let alone recognize, this physical and natural world in which we live is interlaced in so many ways with the unseen spiritual realm. And in, in certain moments, there's this liminal connection between those two realms where something can begin to happen. And when your shout goes out, what we find is that Ephesians 6.12 points out to us that our, our struggle is never just about flesh and blood, but it's about the powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm. And when you have a shout that comes from a deep place of trust in God, an understanding of how mighty and magnificent he is, and, and a history with God of where he's done something mighty for you, and you come with a shout that comes from that deep place, it goes into this deep place. And it begins to displace the devil. That's what you get to shout about. That shout enters into that spiritual space interlaced with the atmosphere and it sends the devil packing because you come with a shout of praise to your God and it does something. It does something. It brings a, an experience of what Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 4, 6 when he said, it's not by my power, it's not by my, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's an experience of what we read in, in Psalm verse, uh, 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses and everything we can do but we trust in the name of the Lord our God and everything he can do it's about an experience of what's detailed in Ephesians 6 10 finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power not just you not just what you can do because you're so clever and because you're so strong and so tough and got so many ideas but because of who God is you be strong in his mighty power and we're going to do what it says in Psalm 47. Come on, everybody. Clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. Come on, everybody. Clap your hands and shout to God with joyful praise. Come on, everybody. Shout to God with joyful praise. Joyful praise. Joyful praise. Joyful praise. We shout to him. We're going to do it. It's not just a song from the 90s that Darlene Check sang where we're going to go, shout to the Lord. All no, we're going to do it. We're going to lift our voice and shout and dispossess the devil from what he thought was his space in the air. We're going to move that air with what comes from our faith and God's going to show the victory. Listen, you're looking forward to going to heaven one day when you die? Let me just remind you of a little bit of what goes on there. 
The book of Revelation, chapter 7, describes just a, a, a quick vision of heaven, one part of heaven. It says, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, too many to count. <laughs> From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Say it with me. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Say it again. Salvation comes from our God and from the Lamb. Sorry, I missed a phrase. <laughs> Let's say it all together. Well, oh, so, sorry, they didn't put it on the screen for you. That was why that wasn't working. <laughs> Click to the next. There we go. The part in quotes. Now I know you're going to do it. Ready? Go. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. In case you were feeling uncomfortable with shouting and you were hoping to go to heaven when you die one day, you better get used to it because it happens without stop. There is a place for the shout of faith and praise in God for the victory that he works on your behalf. And salvation comes from our God is an experience God wanted to make sure his people have. God wanted this to be true. God wanted for me and you to always know that our salvation comes from God. God never wanted for my sense of hope to rest in my own hands. God never wanted my anticipation of success to only ever be about my adequacy. Too much pressure. God never wanted for my believing for breakthrough to only be about my brute force. Too much pressure. And God never wanted my experience of salvation to be about what I was going to do by my own strength. Salvation comes from the Lord. And from the Lamb. This is the reality. We have a great gospel. And the gospel is that our salvation doesn't come from anything we do. It comes from everything Jesus has done for us. In 1 John 5, 4 in the New Testament, what we read is that every, chi every child of God, every son and daughter, every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And so we're going to focus our faith on what God can do. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for us. And, and, and his demonstration of the Father's love for us, of, of his proof of how much God cares for us. Our faith is going to be in Jesus and his willingness to be our rescuer and our redeemer at every turn. I'm going to focus my faith on what God can do through Jesus in my life. I'm going to focus my faith on what God can do through Jesus to one day bring me to heaven when I die where there will be a great roar of a shout. And I'm going to focus my faith on what Jesus Christ can do for me in this life, here and now, allowing me to experience his own power and presence in me to overcome and I choose to focus my faith in that way. And for somebody today, this is what you need to do. You need to put your faith in Jesus once and for all. Today, here, now, you need to finally admit to God that you need his forgiveness and that you want his gift of salvation. And I'm praying that today you'll experience a spiritual awakening and put your faith in Jesus. Would you pray with me?
God, I praise you in this moment for your word. I thank you, God, for the, the freedom and joy that your people get to experience of celebrating with shouts of joy and victory. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that, Lord. But I also know that for some of us while we're praying right now, the truth is we're in a bit of a dark spot. Maybe it's kind of more like how it was for Gideon in, in verse 7, where everybody's left. The people we thought that were going to be there forever, they're going, they're gone. Or the thing that we thought was going to be so, you know, last forever thing is just, it's falling apart. And so for some of us who are in that spot right now, God, we need your, we need your strength to come. We need you to raise us up again, God, because we feel like throwing in the towel. We feel like we're not even going to make it. But our feelings aren't the facts. Your love is the fact that we're going to rest on. If you're here today and you feel, you feel what I just described, you're like, I feel that way, like I'm at the end of my rope and like it, what I thought was going to last is gone and like the people I thought I could depend on, they're gone and I'm, I'm feeling like I'm not going to make it. If, if that's the kind of space you're in right now and you want the touch of God in your life, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody who just feel like, I need God to help me. I feel like I'm outnumbered right here. I feel like I, I'm... I'm, I'm going to go down if he doesn't come through. Raise your hand and keep it up for a minute. God, I pray for every one of us with our hand raised, Lord, that you would show us like you showed Gideon, even if it's just that one thing like a dream that he saw someone else having, but it was just enough. God, I pray for each one of us with our hand raised that you would do something like that. Even this week that we'd see it, there would be some way that you'd show us, see, I've got you. And that because of that, you would birth in us a willingness to see things the way Gideon did, where before anything even happened, he said, the victory has been given. And I pray, God, for a, a rising up of faith for every one of us who needs it right now, to shift our focus, to focus our faith on God, on what you can do.